Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. Are you are you a game person? Like, do you like board games? Board games. Board games. I feel like I've been ruined for board games since having a kid. I have a she's five oh, okay. and super into board games. We have a big, big pile of board games. Okay. But I'm just tired, man. <laughs> so I feel like my first reaction is always, no, I don't want to play a game. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when you're hanging out with no. friends, you're like this is literally the last thing I want to do. This is literally what I do all the time. <laughs> um yeah, but I do like games. I like um Rummy Rummy Cube. Rummy Cube? What's Rummy Cube? It's um it's like a tile. I don't maybe it's not a board game. It's like a tile game. Okay. Cuz like, like Rummy is like a card yeah, game. Yeah. So it's like a mix almost of maybe uh Rummy and Mahjong. Oh, so interesting. So you have to like put out little tiles that have numbers on them and like your first move has to add up to a certain number and then oh. you can only put out tiles that Wow, I sound old when I'm talking. Yeah, about that. yeah, no, you did sound pretty old. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, though. I appreciate, I appreciate that. What's What's funny as you're describing this, I'm simultaneously yeah. very interested, but also appalled because I have, I like games. I like, I like a good game night, but I have a very, I hate strategy games, um, and uh-huh. I hate thinky games, with the exception of Catan, basically, and Catan. Risk. Uh, like I go big if I'm oh. going to go into strategy games, but much like you've been ruined with board games because of your mm-hmm. daughter, I've been wor- ruined because I don't want to think outside of work, right? Like work is for thinking. Yeah. Game nights are for fun. I want to play charades. <laughs> I want to do, I want to <laughs> do like fancy telephone. I want to do dumb fancy stuff like exploding kittens. Like I want to do wait, really. Wait, 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 no, stop. Dumb games. I can't get with risk because that's just, that seems like. A lot of what's commit, your commitment right for a game, but um, but what's exploding kittens? What are you talking I, about? We don't we don't have time for it. We'll have to discuss it some other times. It's very topical though, very fun and exploding kittens. Exploding kittens. Okay. Yeah, look at look it up. Risk and exploding kittens. Very, very <laughs> topical. All okay. over the place. Hmm. <laughs> Science is fascinating. But don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Vicki Thompson. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. So I asked you about board games because mm-hmm. I was actually originally thinking about a board game I really love, Battleship. What do you think about Battleship? Battleship sunk. That's what I... Yeah. No, yeah. I, I like Did you Battleship. have the electric version? I just thought about the commercial. Did you ever oh, see the commercial? I, I did. Yeah. yeah. We are really dating ourselves here. But so thinking about battleships, not necessarily from the board game perspective, mm-hmm. but think about if you had a battleship in real life made out of ice. Like a battleship battleship? Like the game or a real battleship? No, like a, like a real, like a life-size battleship. So, all right, there was this... This is so fascinating. There was this top secret World War II project called Operation Habakkuk. And to tell us about it, let's bring in our producer, Jamie Finley. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Shane. Okay, so I have to say, this is, I love this, but it's really hard to picture a working battleship made of ice. Yeah, actually, it was ice and wood pulp because apparently uh, a slurry of water. And wood pulp, when it's frozen, is super strong. And that was the vision behind Project Habakkuk. It was to create a, 
basically a fleet of these ice composite battleships that would be invincible. Except during a heat wave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, that was the idea of the composite. The composite was supposed to melt uh, more slowly than pure ice. And also they, they planned to make the ships insulated and cooled. Okay. So I believe you, but this is still pretty hard to picture. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a pretty incredible story. And it's not just a story about unconventional ice engineering, let's say. It's it's a story that touches on, as we'll hear later, the Bible, the Titanic, and Superman. Oh, okay. Well we like a we like a long leash here at, at Third Pod. So where do we start? Okay, well we're gonna start with Chaz Osborne. He's written a novel about Operation Habakkuk. It's called At the Wolf's Door, and he's done a lot of research, so he's just going to set the stage for us. My name is Chaz Osborne. I'm a dual American-Canadian citizen who moved to Canada in 2007. I make my living as a communications consultant. I'm a former journalist who has worked in both the newspaper and magazine businesses. So we're here to talk about Project Habakkuk, and I'm wondering if you could just give me a a brief sort of thumbnail sketch of what this project is all about. Sure, I'd be happy to. First of all, the name comes from a book in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet, and there is a part in that book where Habakkuk is speaking with God, and there's a great line that says, I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I think this project, this top secret project during World War II, really, really captures that well. Habakkuk was essentially a project to build ice ships, specifically aircraft carriers, out of icebergs. And this was a actual bona fide project, a real project that took place in the early 1940s, 1943 to be exact, in the Canadian wilderness of the area just outside of Jasper, Alberta in the Canadian Rockies. So that's it in a nutshell. We have to remember that the early days of the war were really, really brutal for the Allied powers. And one of the things they struggled with was the Nazi subs and the way that they hunted. Unlike World War I, when the subs sort of went after each ship individually, the Germans had adopted a new tactic. It was called Rudel Tactic where they hunted in wolf packs. And this presented a huge problem for the Allies 
who were trying to protect their convoys. You see, airplanes of that era in the early part of World War II didn't have the range. They couldn't fly out into the part of the Atlantic where the wolf packs liked to hunt. Basically, the convoys were sitting ducks in the early part of the war because the Allies just didn't have the firepower, especially aircraft carriers and the aircraft, to offer any kind of protection. So the British were basically willing to try anything to get a leg up. How did you stumble on this story, and what, what's your interest in the story? Almost 15 years ago, my family and I had just moved from Michigan to Alberta. And while we were in Jasper, we were told that one of the drives that we should check out was the drive to Pyramid Lake. Well, just before you reach Pyramid Lake is Patricia Lake. And I believe I had stopped to let a, either a herd of deer or a herd of elk cross when I noticed a sign along the roadside. I stopped, being curious, I stopped and uh, started reading about it. And it was uh, a sign explaining Project Habakkuk. And as I recall, it, it said that during the winter months of 1943, the British built a prototype, a 150th scale of an ice ship on the frozen surface of Patricia Lake to test the validity of their idea. I've, in, in my research, I've seen old photos of the project. It actually looked, it was uh, disguised as a boathouse. They had built a structure uh, over it. So uh, the man behind this scheme was Jeffrey Pike. Can you tell us a bit about him and how, how he came up with this, this idea? Jeffrey Pike, from what I've read about the man, he was either a genius or an eccentric, flamboyant eccentric with an uncanny knack for self-promotion. He was also an amateur inventor, and I, I suspect he was a bit of a Svengali as well, because not only could he command attention, but he actually got people to listen to his ideas, no matter how far-fetched you or I might consider them to be. Another thing about Jeffrey Pike is that he was an authority on ice in, in an era when, you know, who, who made their living or whatever from being an authority on ice. What we do know for certain is that Pike, like me, was a former journalist. He was also a man who was in the right place at the right time because his work drew the attention of Lord Mountbatten, who was the chief of combined operations for the British. He was up there about as high as you could go. And he was a friend of Winston Churchill and had Churchill's ear. So having Mombatton's ear meant that Pike also had Churchill's ear. Okay, so Pike, this man Pike, managed to convince 
certain people in the military and the government that this was a workable idea. And so they built this prototype at Patricia Lake in uh, Alberta, in what is now Jasper National Park. So how long did the prototype last and what actually were they able to achieve with it? They were able to show that they could, A, construct such a ship, and B, that it would float. That, that was important. And C, it, it was able to last several, several months. Okay, so this secret project was named after a biblical prophet named Habakkuk. Habakkuk, yeah. And incidentally, guys, there's a whole series of YouTube videos on how to pronounce the names of Old Testament prophets in case you ever need that resource. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't imagine, except for this specific moment, needing that resource, but I I do love a good uh, YouTube deep dive. But but getting back to this prototype ice ship, it was much smaller than the projected big ice battleships, right? Yeah, much smaller. So about 60 feet long, and the real ships were projected to be about 2,000 feet long. Well, what happened to the prototype? So they built it in the winter, of spring, uh, winter and spring of 1943. As far as it went, it was successful. And so that was kind of the end of that stage. So they basically just removed the part of the refrigeration unit and let it sink to the bottom of Patricia Lake. And that's where it is now. You can actually dive down to see it. If you're a a hardcore Rocky Mountain diver, that is, that's right? Yeah, you, you have to be a hardcore Rocky Mountain diver. And uh, that actually describes my next guest, uh, Susan Langley. She's an archae- marine archaeologist, a textile expert, a beekeeper, and an authority on Project Habakkuk. And she's been down to this wreck many times, and I'll let her take up the story. My name is Susan Langley. I'm the Maryland State Underwater Archaeologist. I'm always interested in the offbeat. I'm a, I'm a master spinner, which a friend gave me a bumper sticker that says, you know, spinning because knitting's not weird enough. In fact, I often call my lectures, you know, what do the Titanic, the Bible, and Superman have in common? And it's Operation Habakkuk. There was an ice patrol sent out after the, or it was formed and sent out after the sinking of the Titanic to get rid of all those pesky icebergs and they'll never sink our ships again. And it was discovered that icebergs resist incendiary bombs, torpedoes, and that suddenly clicked with, well, maybe we can build our refueling depot out of ice, and it can't be sunk. So tell us about the first time you dove down to the wreck. Well, we were fortunate. I ran into two gentlemen who hadn't dove it, but they had they had more contacts and information, and they agreed to work with me on this. And we carried our gear down a trail. Because um, in, initially, and there happened to be a an eye, an, a, a metal eye sticking out of the side of the bank. It's a horse trail now, and um, there was a cable, metal cable, running into the water. And they had been told that this would lead us to the model, which it did. At the end of the project, it was left floating in the lake, but still moored. So the information we had was correct. 
We dove down. It's sitting on quite a steep side slope. And if you picture a shoebox, it's sitting on a diagonal. So the long sides are almost parallel to the shore. And the deep, the, the short ends are the highest corner and the deepest corner of the, of the site. So can you tell us a bit about, just paint us a picture of going down there and and what, what did you experience? What did you see exactly? What was the quality of the water, etc.? Well, like most mountain lakes, it's, it's reasonably clear. It's on the deep side in the sense that the shallowest corner is about 65 feet. The deepest corner is about 120. But you have to calculate for the altitude. We're at 4,000 foot altitude. So it's the equivalent of adding about 20 feet to each of those. To, to do any work at all, we were getting into decompression diving. It wasn't we couldn't get enough done within the no decompression range. So we did have to stage stops coming back up. If you And of course, have a substantial period between dives to off-gas. So the visibility wasn't too bad. There was some backscatter in the summer as plant life, you know, as much as mountain lakes warm up, we did get, you know, some floaties, if you will, snow, as photographers call it. We tried in the winter one time to see if it would improve the clarity. And um, there's nothing more bizarre than standing in the middle of nowhere on a mountain lake, sweeping the lake to get the snow off the ice. Before you pull your toboggan, it felt very Canadian, pulling our toboggan with our chainsaw along and cutting a large um, triangle. You never want a circle because it can pop back in and lock you under. So you put a triangle, you push it under and stake it. And then we put all our safety lines, safety divers went down. And of course, because the ice was two feet thick, it really didn't improve. It was might have been clearer, but it was darker. So it was kind of moot. We stuck to diving in the summer. Okay, clearly Susan is no armchair archaeologist, really adventurous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh it's wild kind of hearing about these stories. But I'm really I'm I'm really interested about this prototype. So it's is it the only actual remnant of Project Habakkuk? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Susan says that the prototype was basically a wooden shell that was built uh, using ice from the lake. No wood pulp, just ice. So they had they had the idea of adding wood pulp later to make the the planned battleships stronger, and they actually gave the this ice composite a name, Pycrete. Pycrete. So named I. Assume after the guy that Chaz mentioned. Jeffrey Pike, that's right. And, of course, he was the visionary behind the operation. And Pike Reed apparently has some unusual properties, according to Susan. When the first pikecrete was made, and I think it was made at Billingsgate uh, Fish Market, you know, their sort of secret lab in the back, Mountbatten took it to Churchill, who was at Chartwell, and took it in, and Churchill was in the bath, and he barged in and threw it in the tub with him. I'm hoping that's not an apocryphal story. I, I think it's true. But Churchill was convinced he took out of the tub and they kept adding hotter and hotter water. And when it resisted melting, he was convinced and went along with it. And once it was reinforced with, with this pikecrete, once the, uh, the ice had the wood slurry added to it, it became um, turnable on a lathe. You could saw it, you could hammer it. And you would the, the, the walls of these vessels would have had to be 40 feet thick. I mean, massive and, and still have the piping in them. Now, is pikecrete, has pikecrete been used as a structural material at all in, in any, any context? 
Yes, surprisingly. One that I can think of, uh, you know, it was not very often, but the one I can think of offhand was in the 1950s. It was used in Hudson Bay by Nickel Rankin Mines to build like an ice cushion around their docks so that they wouldn't be crushed by the winter ice. If we can go back to your description of the projected ships, and you said uh, like they were massive and they had walls 40 feet thick or something like that. So what was the idea there that the, the you know, if a, a U-boat shot a torpedo at these ships, that the ice would actually absorb the torpedo, but with limited damage? Is that is that correct? That's correct. They, they thought that the, a torpedo into a 40-foot thick wall of, of um, picrete, that is picrete, not just ice, uh, would make about a four-foot hole, and they felt that could be repaired at sea, so it would not penetrate. I see. So they they tested this prototype. It it seemed to be feasible, and they had a a tremendous, a grandiose plan to to create these massive ice picrate ships. And what happened? Why didn't the plan go ahead? Churchill wanted a hundred of them before 1944, and we're now in March of 43. It would have taken a lot of of wood pulp in the country, but it would have taken a lot of the um, piping, the metal for piping, which was needed for ships and aircraft. And it would have taken 2000 people working around the clock and shifts to build you know, these. And they just decided, well, one thing was they couldn't get a hundred of them built in time. And they came up with the VEL Liberator aircraft, which had a longer range and could fly farther with um, and, you know, and guard a convoy. So there were um, a number of factors sort of coalesced and just made it you know, obsolete before it even started, really. So it was feasible, but it ended up not really being practical or in, in the long run necessary. So that's the story of Project Habakkuk, and you can see why Chaz decided to make a novel out of it. Yeah. So just one one last question. Susan said the story contained elements of the Bible and Titanic and Superman. Right? And we know that the pro- project was named after the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk? You got it. Oh. <laughs> and Susan, see, that, that just... Side tangent, that resource he mentioned on YouTube is actually going to come in pretty handy. I I am going to do some deep diving. Um, But Susan did mention that after the sinking of the Titanic, scientists tried to destroy icebergs using explosives, but that they didn't have much success. That's right. Um, Icebergs turned out to be amazingly strong and, of course, buoyant. And that suggested that, you know, gee, maybe, maybe this could be used as construction material for a battleship. All right, so where does Superman come in? So this is a great final twist. The Superman comic was going strong in daily newspapers during the Second World War. And in March of 43, the writers came up with this new story development. Basically, Superman encounters huge icebergs that turn out to be camouflaged Nazi fortresses, complete with you know, troops and, and planes and cannons and, and so on. So this really is an echo of Project Habakkuk. And according to Susan, there was alarm among the top military brass that their secret project had been leaked. 
but no, it was just coincidence. Um, it was just an illustration of the strange convergence that sometimes happens between the comic book imagination and the military imagination. The Bible, Titanic, and Superman. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, folks. Well, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much to Jamie for bringing us the story and to Chaz and Susan for sharing their work with us. This episode was produced by Jamie with production assistance from Jay Steiner and audio engineering from Colin Warren. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Please rate and review us and you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks all and we'll see you next week. No, like a like a real like a life-size battleship. So, all right, there was this this is so fascinating. There was this top secret World War II project called Operation Ah, I can't even pronounce Operation. All right, I'm going to start uh, from there. It's a hard one. I know. <laughs> Habakkuk. 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 You don't even get the Habakkuk. Yeah. See, you I know but Habakkuk. But no, you know no. what, you guys? It doesn't really matter because, like, if you pronounce it one way and I pronounce it the other way, that's fine. I mean, who's who's gonna who's gonna write into third pod and, and complain? Know. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> Although, a good point. But I, I should be able to pronounce operation. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs>